Well, good morning, everyone. Oh, you might want to open up to Revelation chapter 2. We're in the last book of the Bible. Uh, I encourage you, if you haven't had a listen to the earlier ones, this is actually session number five. They're all available there on the internet uh, via the willowburn.com uh, site, or willowburnchurch.com. And there's also, uh, we're also on iTunes and stuff as well, so cool. Fully committed. Uh, this week, I was listening to some songs and those songs got my attention and I promise they weren't Bon Jovi. Uh, they were actually by some other bands and they were sung questions and they really got my attention. Matter of fact, they've got my attention for the last, I don't know, three or four weeks, particularly as I thought about this sermon and thought about the Revelation series as a whole. So the first sung question was this, have you stopped reaching, no longer seeking greater things? Have you stopped reaching, no longer seeking greater things? It sounds a lot better when it's sung. Um, has a bit more impact to the heart when it's sung. Okay. But I'll just say it again, have you stopped reaching? No longer seeking greater things. Maybe this is a sermon for the older people, my older brothers and sisters. Then again, maybe it's one for my younger brothers and sisters. I'm kind of in the middle in this church. I'm 45 next week. No, in two weeks. Um, kind of in the middle. But have you, no matter how old or how young, have you stopped reaching? Have you, are, you, are you still seeking for greater things? What are you seeking for? Uh, there was another song, and it had these words, whatever happened to a passion I could live for? And when did I forget that? Dot, dot, dot. Does anyone know those words? Guess the song. You'll find out at the end, the dot, dot, dot bit. But whatever happened to a passion that I could live for? Have you stopped seeking for greater things? Where's the passion? Pergamon was a church 2,000 years ago in modern Turkey. It was known as Asia back then, or Asia Minor. And you can see a picture of it there uh, as I kind of zoom in for you. And obviously, it's one of the seven churches so far. Can you remember the churches we've gone through? E for Ephesus, S for P for Pergamum today. I remember ESP, TSP, L, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, if you want to remember, acronyms are good. So Smyrna, Ephesus, uh, sorry, Smyrna, Ephesus and Pergamum. Actually, I've highlighted the wrong thing, I just realised. Anyway, uh, Pergamon were actually sort of vying for most popular city award uh, and they had various things that were kind of attractive about them. But the Lord Jesus was doing an assessment of their commitment levels. The Lord Jesus was having a little bit of a closer look than what you or I would look at. He was looking beneath the surface of things, deep into their hearts, to see whether they were still seeking greater things the greater things of the kingdom, to see whether they were still passionate about the right things. Let's read together from chapter 2 of Revelation 12 to 17. Remembering our memory verse that blessed is the one who reads these words and who hears them and who takes them to heart or keeps them or does them. To the angel of the church in Pergamum write, these are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city, where Satan lives. Verse 14. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and by committing sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, 
Otherwise, I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. We're going to look at that a bit more closely shortly. Verse 17. He who has an ear. Do you have, a, do you have an ear, a listening ear today? What about your heart? Is your heart open? Is your heart listening? All you need to do now is just pray and ask the Lord to open up your heart. Why don't I do that? Father, would you open up our hearts? Would you give us listening ears? Because otherwise we're confused and foggy and distracted. So Lord Jesus, through the power of your Holy Spirit, come upon us, open up our ears, open up our hearts, because you love us and you care for us and you'll say stuff to us today. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. That sounds pretty cool. Revelation, do these words. This is our motif that we get from our memory verse, which was not just hearing or reading, but doing the words. It says, blessed is the one who keeps these words, who takes these words to heart." who does these words. So every time we come to a section of Revelation, we're asking the Lord as one of our guiding principles is how do we do these words? Especially when these words have sort of ominous, flickering flames upon them. Do you know what I mean? These words to the seven churches are right before a bunch of words about disaster, earthquakes, famine, horrible stuff, wars, Beasts that are rising up, the representative of various things. So Pergamum, please listen. Willowburn, please listen. You might go, hey, Adrian, we don't have to worry too much about that in Australia. Uh, I'm kind of well acquainted with death as a part of my previous job as being a rescue pilot. I've never seen anyone have a good death, even people who die quietly. Uh, it's always a time of sorrow, of angst. It's all, always, for them, a disaster. It's always for them a disaster. So even if you think this doesn't apply, and I actually believe it probably has more relevance now than it ever did before, but even if you don't think on the macro scale it applies, it applies to you because you are all headed. I'm sorry, my brothers and sisters, but you are, and so am I. We're all headed towards a natural disaster called our own death. And so these words are so important because all the Bible is all about generally what is happening now because it affects what's going to happen after your death. So important. Now, this morning I was just shaking. I don't know, really know why. I still feel it a bit now, but like, it is so important to do these words. Willowburn, please listen. And it's like, again, well, how do we do these words? Again, I want to come back to these questions. Have we stopped reaching for greater things? Whatever happened to a passion I could live for? And I guess what I really want to say is doing these words, Smyrna, uh, Pergamum, Ephesus, or for us today, Willowburn, doing these words is be fully committed. Be fully committed. Fully committed. What, just think about that word fully for a minute. Fully committed. Fully. So are we fully committed? I just want that question to sort of hover around our mind. It's been hovering around mind for a little while. And let's look at Pergamum because Jesus... The living king comes to Pergamum and he does an assessment. He asks the question, essentially, are you fully committed? Now, how can we know whether or not the one who is speaking here to 
Pergamum is fully qualified to make such an assessment. Because you and I make assessments based on what we see, yeah? And oftentimes we get it wrong, yeah? So let's just look at verse 12. It says there, to the angel of the church in Pergamum. So last week we saw, or a few weeks ago, we saw the angels are representative of the churches. And remember, they were represented themselves by stars. And who held the stars? The Lord Jesus, King Jesus, King of the cosmos. And then it, then it says, these are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. Now, I don't know about you, but in our sort of society, we see the metaphor and the picture of a sword coming out of someone's mouth. There's a little bit uncomfortable, don't you? Look at that and go, oh, that doesn't sound as poetic as the blazing eyes. Gone a bit far there, maybe. But it's really important to understand what that actually means. And more importantly, who is this from? Who is this from, the one that this sharp double-edged sword comes out of his mouth? If we go back to Revelation 1.16, again, we see he's holding the seven stars. Out of his mouth comes a sharp double-edged sword. His face is shining in all of its brilliance. Many, many times in Revelation, it's connecting itself back to previous parts of the Bible. In this case, it connects itself back to Isaiah. So the one who is speaking is already the one that's been spoken about in a prophecy 600 years before John ever wrote. And this is how it goes. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his root, a branch will bear fruit. Uh, we just had David and Goliath. This one who is speaking to the church is a descendant, humanly speaking, of the giant slayer. And yet that giant slayer bends the knee to this king. He calls him Lord in a psalm, in a song. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. He will delight in the fear of the Lord. He won't judge by what he sees with his eyes. If I look at you, I can make all sorts of leaps about who you are, where you're from, and most times, many times, uh, get it wrong. He judges with righteousness, with justice. He gives decisions for the poor of the earth, and then he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. So this is King Jesus, master and commander of the cosmos. He's the star builder. He's the earth shaker. He is the commander in chief of angel army, armies. He, he is the builder of subatomic quanta, all the way to the mega scale of solar systems and dimensions. And so when it talks about the sword of his mouth, what it talks about is when he says stuff, stuff happens. It has physicality. When you or I say something, it's just kind of like a, like a wisp many times. It's just words. When God speaks, let there be light. There's light. The cosmos springs into being. And so John, in the power of the Holy Spirit, has it exactly right to describe God's words, Jesus' words, as a sword word, as, as cutting through the veneer. As cutting through the veneer. So what do I mean by that? Well, this sword idea is not just the idea of killing something. It's the idea of separating. It's the idea of judging. And judging always means that Things are exposed. So your heart is exposed. So do you remember the sword word in Hebrews? It says this, The word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It doesn't matter what face you wear to church or the face you wear with other people. When Jesus is about, he has a sword. It will divide the fake from the true, the veneer from the authentic. 
It will do it every time. And aren't you glad you've got this Bible? You should read it more. You want to know what's really going on in your heart? Read it more. Get rid of fake stuff in your life. Read the Bible more. And when he is speaking this, he is speaking it with an an air of urgency. It's like, do you know what's coming? Right now you have an issue. Right now you have a little kind of seed, but later it's going to be something worse when the real pressure comes on. So please listen. Even in Isaiah, again, he says he won't judge by what he sees with his eyes or what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. So that means the sword of the word. It reveals and then it judges. And you know what that means? He knows. What you did last night, what you're thinking right now, what you're going to do, he knows. And when he speaks like a sword, he knows what is real and what is fake in you. And he wants you to know your own heart as well. Remember, Jeremiah, that the heart is deceitful above all things, but I, the Lord, seek, uh, I, the Lord search out the heart. We have to come to him in prayer and go, Lord, search out my heart because right now I'm feeling all this stuff and I don't know if it's real or not. And so this one comes to Pergamum, and he's coming to us right now, and he says, are you fully committed? And already within us, certain things will rise up. But I'm busy. But you don't know what I've been through. He does know. I've suffered. I've distra- I'm just, I just don't even care what you're saying right now. It doesn't seem so real to me. Doesn't matter. Here comes the one with the sword word, and he has some things to say. And he says, first of all, to Pergamum, in front of Satan's throne, are you fully committed? And it's this way it says in verse 13, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Just think about that for a minute. Now, if we said Satan had his throne in, in Toowoomba, where Jesus says where Satan lives, what would you really be scared of? What, what would you really be scared of? Maybe Satanists and occultists running about, leaving goat's heads, maybe you know, chasing after your children. Like, but what, you'd be scared though, wouldn't you, in a way? Now, this is Jesus speaking, and he says that's where Satan has his throne, and it's really interesting here because there are two or three things that we should really be scared of, and it's not the first one, which is persecution, and I'll tell you why in a minute. He says, you remain, yet you remain true to my name there in verse 13. You didn't renounce your faith. That's cool. I held on. They've even lost one of their own, it says, in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives, you didn't renounce the name. You didn't give up on me. That's great. You know, the new Bible commentary is really interesting and it had a good spiel on Pergamon. I'll just read it to you. It says it was dominated by a huge hill that rose to a thousand foot above sea level. And around that mountain were many temples. The most famous was the temple um, of Asclepius. I don't don't think I said that right. But anyway, the God of healing, closely, closely associated with a snake. There's also a huge altar of Zeus built to commemorate a notable victory. And most of all, most important of all, Pergamum had the first temple in the area dedicated to Augustus, Caesar Augustus, and to Rome. And so in that city, you would be walking along and someone would go, my Lord and my Saviour and my God. And you go, oh, cool, Christian. Who were they talking about? Augustus, Caesar. That's who they were talking about. And people think, oh, I was worshipping Augustus. No, you weren't. You were actually worshipping Satan. 
Because if you're not worshipping God, there is only one other option, one other ruler or sub-ruler in this, in this world, and that's Satan. Can you imagine that? My saviour, my lord and my God. So Pergamum had become the religious capital of Asia and in some ways the empire. Yet you remained true to my name. They put up with persecution. They appeared to be committed. They'd even lost one of their own. But isn't it interesting that Jesus has more to say and it wasn't persecution that was going to bring them down. What was it? Let's keep reading. Remember this sword word? It's going to penetrate to the heart. It's going to penetrate between the unreal and the real, the true state and the shallow show. It's going to judge the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. So what happens when he does that for Pergamum? He says, verse 14, I have a few things against you. Now, if it's Adrian Park who has a few things against you, you can kind of just ignore it, really. I don't. If it's the Lord, the master of the cosmos, and he says, I have a few things against you, you can guarantee that there really are some issues in your life that you need to deal with. I have a few things against you. What were they? I mean, they, they, they endured the persecution. They were enticed, they were ambushed, and they were trapped by the ways of Balaam or the error of Balaam and by this thing uh, that the Nicolaitans were into. We'll talk about them very shortly, but verse 14 says there, you have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice. I think if you're reading the ESV, it says stumbling block. It literally means scandal. It's like a trap that snaps close on you. Entice the Israelites to sin by eating food, sacrifice to idols, and by committing sexual immorality. So obviously here it's referring back to its own history. The Bible is referring back to its own history. And you can read more about Balaam. It was so weird because in my reading plan, I was reading about Balaam. How weird's that? It's a year plan and it just happened to fall on my prep for uh, this sermon. But just to give you the key elements, the Israelites come out. They're marching across this big, massive field. Balak is a king. He realises that he's in trouble. He forms an alliance and then he calls for this guy called Balaam. Weird guy. He appears to be calling Yahweh or the Lord God, the Lord God, but then he's also like divining animal entrails. He's a half-breed mix, like he's a mix, he's a half and half. And so he, he's called out, and you know the story of the donkey, you can read all about that, but he's called out to curse Israel. Instead, every time he opens up his mouth, he just blesses them. I love one of my favourite lines in all the Bible comes out of Balaam's mouth. Truth is truth, it doesn't matter whether it's coming out of a donkey kicker's mouth or it's just coming out of a priest's mouth. It's still truth. So um, he, he says, and there is the shout of the king amongst them. I love that. It's full of poetry. It's just like vibrating with poetry. The shout of the king is amongst them. The shout of the king. And he just can't, can't curse them. Do you know what eventually gets them though? We're told later on in Numbers that what Balaam does is very clever. Eventually he decides that, no, these people need to go down. And so he gets all the um, Midianite women together. And he goes, go and start you know, doing your thing amongst the camp there with the Israelites. Sure enough, men fall left, right and centre. And they start sleeping around, doing all sorts of terrible things. And they go down in a big way. You can read about that yourself later. So Balaam was a mix of a servant and a sorcerer. And then he took that and pretty much did the same thing for the Israelites. They were supposed to be a people set apart. A man was supposed to love his wife in that camp and show the love um, the, just the true love of God by loving his wife, looking after his wife. Instead, he starts sleeping around with these Midianite women. Terrible. 
And so Balaam actually made the people half and half. They were supposed to be the people of God, but then also at the same time they're doing all this other stuff. So that's the error of Balaam. That's the way of Balaam is to get caught up in all the world's things and think, hey, it's okay, I can sleep around. I can sleep with my boyfriend before we get married. You know, I can just, uh, once my wife isn't keeping me happy, then I'll just go on to someone else and I can still be a good Christian. And I'm not, I'm not saying anything about people have gone through real divorce and things like that. What I'm saying, though, is that when you start to think that all that stuff, it's just, just do it, doesn't matter. No. You can't be fully committed and be committed to the ways of the world at the same time. You can't be fully committed to Christ. The Nicolaitans were much the same. You know, it's interesting because Balaam means consumes the people. Nicolaity means above the people. And in a very real sense, the people were being consumed by their own desires for other things. So yeah, they desired Jesus, but they also desired all these other things. So like I said, it was sort of this dirty mix of both. They weren't fully committed to the Lord. And I think half the problem is that we see today sexual immorality, even when I say that word, it's kind of got this naughty but nice feel about it. It's like, yeah, but it's kind of nice. What we don't understand is that when one boundary falls, maybe it is just adultery, one boundary falls, other boundaries, there's, it's not even like it's other boundaries, it's the same boundary line. Other breaches then occur. We just heard about child sex slavery. The same lust that went after another woman now goes after a child. Uh, it, I'm not saying that just because you've lusted after another woman, you're going to lust after a child. But you see what I'm saying? In a society as a whole, once that boundary falls, well, who's to say that's not going to happen? There would be no child sex slavery if men didn't want child sex slaves. It's not naughty but nice. Please don't touch me again. I'm only seven. That is not naughty and nice. And mum or dad, where are you going? Who's this other woman? Who's this other man? What's happening to my family? That is not naughty but nice. And the king of the universe knows. And he sees the trajectory of it in uh, Pergamum. He may see the trajectory of it here and he says, stop it. Stop it before it's too late and before the disastrous consequences of this come to you and destroy your relationships, destroy your families. You know, if you're struggling with lust, just trace out its, trace out its trajectory to its end. Trace it out. Just logically in your mind, ask the Lord to help you see where it's leading you and you're going to be shocked. You do that yourself. And we might think, hey, it's just about the sexual immorality, but it also talks about idolatry there. It talks about chasing after uh, things that seem to be so appealing. Just, and they're just physical things. But we don't do that anymore. We don't chase after physical things, do we? You know, I, I read, and again, interesting how the prep comes about. There's a, a documentary on ABC about, um, called The Men Who Made Us Spend. And I, this term, I'd heard it before, I think, but never really registered with me, planned obsolescence. Have you heard of that? You know the light bulb story? They can last a long, long time. They're actually built to last about 2,500 hours, but they've now got paperwork showing that in Geneva, a written agreement was struck between companies to say they would bring that time down to 1,000 hours. Why? So you'd have to buy a new one and keep buying new ones. 
printer cartridges on a lot of printers, uh, all on this documentary, say they're empty, but they can be reset, some of them, three times. They've got a little reset counter, get to zero, and it says empty on your little um, screen. They can be reset three times. Apple, I like Apple, but I don't like how they did this. They sold an iPod with a battery life of 18 months. It was $400 to buy, and guess how much to replace the battery? $250. We, since the 80s to the 90s in our society, instead of an average of 34 pieces of clothing we buy each year, we now buy 67 pieces of clothing. You know why? Because they wore out? No. Because they lost their social functionality. They weren't cool anymore. They were passe. And everything on TV is about organising your dissatisfaction so you'll go and buy more and more and more and more. Again, trace out the trajectory of that. I can trace it out, I'm up to the iPhone 6. The iPhone 7 just came out, and it's like, I can feel it in my heart, guys. It's like, oh, I'd like to go and get that. Oh, two, two lenses on the iPhone 7 Plus. Um, and exactly, no headphone jack. That's the only thing that stopped me. <laughs> but also, I'll tell you what else stopped me was this, was the preparation for this sermon, because you know what? My iPhone 6 is fine. In fact, Joe's got our iPhone 4, which I think is about seven years old or six years old now, it still works fine. I haven't even changed the battery on it. You know what I started to do? I had an old iMac, I pulled it apart and I put in a new solid state hard drive, it's seven years old, it's like new now. I go, yeah, take that Apple. <laughs> you know what I'm saying though? Like, and, and you could relate it to houses, you could relate it to cars. Um, you can relate it to anything. There's something in us that almost wants to worship these things and get the new thing and get the latest thing. And as we do that, guess what? It takes money. So now you're spending money. Now you're spending extra hours. Maybe you can't commit to church stuff now. Now you can't commit to kingdom stuff because you've got to pay your house off, pay off the new phone, pay off the new car. You see how insidious and nasty that is. Organised dissatisfaction. <laughs> Have we stopped reaching for greater things? Here's the thing, I just wanted to say this pretty bluntly. If you are not fully committed to the Lord Jesus, now I'm not saying you do this perfectly, but in that deepest part of you, beneath all the fluff, if you're not fully committed to the Lord Jesus, and guess what, you're, you're fully compromised. You are fully compromised, just by definition. You're not fully committed to something, then you're fully compromised. And this is the Lord Jesus. And there is only one response. There is only one response, and I'm not going to say this properly, but I'll give it a, give it a go. Metaneo. Is that how you say it? Metaneo. It's the Greek for repent. Meta, change of place. Noheo, to exercise the mind, to think, comprehend. Exercise the mind. We've got patterns of behaviour, patterns of thought that are there. And what the Lord Jesus says is, if you want to be fully committed, exercise the mind, turn, repent, repent. You know, we say repent and it flows over us because it's just a word we've heard so many times, but it has the same sense of I'm wandering about and I'm coming close to a cliff face and I don't see the cliff face and I'm insisting that the cliff face is actually uh, just a nice holiday home or whatever. And as I get closer, someone goes, turn, turn. That's why it's so urgent in the Bible. Repent, repent, repent. Verse 16, repent therefore. In my Bible, it's got an exclamation mark. Otherwise, I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. You don't want him fighting against those in the church that are not fully committed, that have sold out to Balaam, sold out in the same way the Nicolaitan. You do not want that. 
coming in with a sword, dividing the real from the, from the inauthentic. No, get across to the real side. Get rid of the inauthentic stuff. Repent now. If you have an ear, then listen. It's not just about naughty but nice. Because above sex, above riches, above power, above prestige, adulation, there is something far more satisfying. Um, Something far more satisfying. You can't be half and half. In verse, um, I think that's 17, to him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. So to him who overcomes is to him who conquers. To him who conquers this uh, spirit of sexual immorality, this spirit of uh, consumerism, this spirit of uh, being sold out, this mix. By the way, how much sewage would you, how much sewage would you accept in a drink of water? 50-50? What? What about if I said 1% sewage? It's just 1%, guys. What about 0.1%? Come on. No, you're still shaking it. So why, why, why in, in our level of commitment to the Lord do we accept even 5% or 10%? You know? And I'm not talking about being fully committed so you become a hermit somewhere and you're just reading the Bible all the time. I'm talking about being fully committed in your workplace where God has put you to serve. But you're fully committed now to serving people like our little motif for our church, love, serve, grow. Love, serve, grow. You're fully committed to that. Because he says, if you overcome in that way, if you conquer, I'm going to give you some of the hidden manna. I don't know exactly what that is. But in the Bible, manna was a bread that came from heaven and it kept the Israelites alive in the middle of the wilderness. It was awesome stuff. So whatever this heavenly manna is, it's going to be even better. And it looks like the Lord has hidden it for a time as a reward. Then he says, I'll also give him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. Now, when I first saw the white stone or read the white stone, I was just thinking a bland white rock that you see in a yard that someone's painted. But I don't think that anymore. And there are three possible meanings that all the commentaries came out with. I'll just give it to you and then I'll tell you what I think it means. Number one, an individual on trial would be given a juror's stone, a black one indicating guilt and a white one acquittal. So a white stone could mean acquittal in those days. A custom, this is number two, existed where two people wished to seal a friendship. They broke a stone in two and each retained a half, thereby giving access to each other's home. A third one, this is all from the New Bible Commentary, very handy commentary, uh, an extension of such a custom was the use of a stone for admission to a feast. Now, they're all kind of cultural things, but I don't think that's what John driven by the Holy Spirit, was writing about. The reason being is, remember our guiding principle? We will go to other parts of the Bible in order to interpret this part of the Bible because John knew his Old Testament. Does anyone remember anywhere in the Old Testament where stones had names on them? Yes. So the high priest, well done, uh, the high priest wore a special garment and on his shoulders he had two onyx stones, one here and one here, and they had six Names for each tribe on them. He also had uh, down his front precious stones. It was funny because Rumbi came in today and had a bracelet and dropped in a blue stone. I don't think it was real. Dropped out and it was like sapphire. Well, one of the stones was sapphire. Um, there are other types of stone as well. I won't tell you all of them. I had some of them written down here. Um, let me see if I can find it. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, ruby, topaz, beryl. So the high priest had six stones down his front over his 
over his chest, over his heart. And each of these had individual names of tribes on them. Now, we know from our previous studies that the Lord Jesus is acting as the high priest. So he says to you, if you will conquer, if you will overcome in my name by all the power and stuff that I've given you, I'm going I'm to give you a stone with a name. I'm going to allocate one to you. This is why I think this, this stone, this white stone, is probably glowing. I don't know for sure. But it probably looks good, you know. Uh, and it's got a name. And this is the intimacy of our Lord. He names the stars, but he also gives you a name. Oh, what a God. What a saviour. Amen. Amen. And, and he wears them over his heart and on his shoulders. It's sort of symbolic, I think, of carrying your burdens, carrying you, carrying you with, with a name. And down here, you know, over his heart, like close to his heart, the high priest, the ultimate high priest, the Lord Jesus, the stone with a name. That's what I think it means. Uh, because I've connected to the Bible, I'm going with that one. Uh, and a new name. You know, we get our identity from many things, don't we? It's like, so sexual identity, you're, you know, you're a lesbian or, you, or, you're, or you're a heterosexual. It's like, man, like, I don't want to be gross or anything, but intimacy is an awesome thing, you know? But even if you're fully intimate with your wife or your husband, it's happening three or four times a week maybe. It is not, I know I want to be serious with this, it is actually not your identity, is it? No. It's an awesome gift from God, my brothers and sisters. Uh, some of us have an identity as being a great soccer player or a sportsman. Is that really your identity? What happens when the sport stops? Maybe you just buy a new truck or something, so now you're the guy with a new truck. Or maybe it's your job, you're a pilot. I think I've told this story before, but I was a pilot and a youth worker at the same time, and I would often say to people when I first met them, I'm a youth worker. And their eyes would roll back nearly, and they start talking about something else. If I said I was a pilot, oh, really? Blah, blah, blah. But is that my identity? No. Our identity is in Christ, isn't it? And here, it's not just like this bland kind of statement, in Christ. We hear it all the time, in Christ, in Christ. No, see here, he's giving you a new name. So he is tying into his identity a new name for you. You are still a person. It's not Buddhist. You're not just merged into this Christ figure. You are still you, but you are fully you, fully who you were meant to be. That's why I asked at the start, have we stopped reaching for greater things? That's why I said at the start, to do these words is to fully commit, to fully commit. Because, Luke, I'm so glad you brought it out, the time is near. The time is near. And like I said, if you're not fully committed, then you are fully compromised. If you're not fully committed, then you are fully compromised. Have you stopped searching for greater things? iPhone 7, really? In 10 years, it'll be the iPhone 14 or something, and the iPhone 7 will seem as bland as the iPhone 4. Trace out the trajectory. Maybe it's family. Families are so difficult and hard work, aren't they? Only with Jesus binding us together do families actually work. And even then, I don't remember my great-grandparents. I don't know them. I don't know anything about them. And when I'm a great-grandparent and in the grave, no one will remember me or you. Meaningless, meaningless, mean Yes, all meaningless without the Lord Jesus. He gives us meaning. New clothes, really, guys, really? You know, Camille up the back there asking week after week for donations. And, oh, man, and we've got all this stuff. We're just caught up in the flow. We've got to stop that. Whatever happened to a passion I could live for, this is a passion you could live for, to go into your workplace, to go into your home place, 
with all the mundane routine things, go, I'm going to serve you, God, with all my heart. I'm going to be fully committed to you, Lord Jesus. I did have some photos. And I thought I'd put them up because as I was prepping and as I was thinking about these things, in came some photos from Denge and in came some photos from Tim from the top of, uh, top of Tabletop. And you now the question was, have you stopped searching for greater things? Whatever happened to a passion? And in come these photos. And you, know, you just look at that and, and it's just a photo and I can't even imagine what it would have been like for real. That, look, in your souls, did that just not lift you to go, whoa, there is something. No, there is someone. There is someone way bigger. Way bigger than my iPhone 7. Way bigger than the next season's fashions. Way bigger than that lust I'm feeling. Oh, Lord, help me. Woo. I was just rainbows, double rainbows. And you guys are so blessed. And don't think it was a mistake. God orchestrated that for you. Never forget that memory. God orchestrated that for you. How beautiful. How wonderful. Whatever happened to a passion I could live for? What became of the flame that made me feel more? And when did I forget that? Dot, dot, dot. Anyone know the next bit? If you listen to Toby Mac, I was made to love you. I was made to find you. I was made just for you. Made to adore you. I was made to love, to be loved by you. You were here before me. You were waiting on me. You said you'd keep me. Never would you leave me. I was made to love and be loved by you. That's your identity, my brothers and sisters. And that's something you can be fully committed to. So who is fully committed? I'm going to finish with this. There is someone here today who is fully committed. And I really believe that we should honour those who are honour worthy. This, this person holds nothing back at Willowburn or for Willowburn Church. Nothing at all. This person is full on. This person is passionate. This person is serious, sacrificial, determined on behalf of this church, determined to see you as the people of this church succeed. This person is consumed by love for the church and for its people and for the people of Toowoomba. This person is honour worthy. Do you know who this person is? The Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ who is fully committed, fully committed to you. You know, if you don't know this story, get to know it of the God who took the nails. He doesn't speak his commitment to us. He shows it on a cross. No other God, Allah, Gautama, Buddha, Hindu deities, none of them show this. Some rubbish I saw the other day, oh, yes, but there's all these mythological creatures that have risen from the dead. or They don't have the same historical evidence as Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who was also son of God. Fully committed, magnificent. And you know what? That one, the Lord Jesus Christ, the King, is fully committed to you. He is fully committed to rewarding those who will overcome and who will conquer. What a God. What a saviour. We should sing now, hey. There's only one response now. That's to sing. Uh, and we're going to actually prepare our hearts. In fact, you know what? Can we do something? If it's okay. Got that beautiful old hymn. Uh, can we sing that again, please, Gabe? Where's Gabe? Yeah, could we sing that again? And I just want to, I'm just going to borrow this for a minute. And I just wanted to read the words. Um, and then he can, uh, I'll hand over to Gabe. He'll take us in the next song, which will be Behold. So, yeah, when I survey, uh, which one was it? Where are we? 
Yeah, when I survey the wondrous cross. So we could sing the other one, but let's sing that one because I think everyone knows that really well. And now here, here's, com- here's commitment to you. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did ever such love and sorrow meet or thorns compose so rich a crown? And then it says here, this is it. Uh, Were the whole realm of nature mine, iPhone 7s, uh, fashion, the latest car, latest Amarok, uh, you know, the best woman in the world or the best man in the world, if the whole realm of nature were mine, that would be a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Fully committed, my brothers and sisters. Fully committed. Let's stand and sing.